Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is March the 1st, 2022. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Faith Radio. This program's called Mornings with Carmen. That's me. Uh, We are seeking to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. And so, among other things, let's talk about tonight's State of the Union address, what we anticipate hearing from the American president, Joe Biden. Um, I will sum it up this way. Whatever the plan for the State of the Union address was, the plan has now changed. That's my, that's my summary statement. I, um, I mean, all of the headlines related to the State of the Union are that as Biden was preparing to deliver this um, uh, annual address to Congress and the nation, um, that you know, every single day he had to break away from meetings with speechwriters and others to, uh, you know, go into the Situation Room and not only hear a briefing, but make a decision related to uh, Russia's aggression and then ultimately invasion of the sovereign nation of Ukraine. And so where um, where the president might have wanted to be focusing on economic revival or his uh, Supreme Court nominee um, or I don't know, anything else that might be, you know, positive in terms of looking ahead. Instead, uh, his his State of the Union address is going to be eclipsed by what's going on um, in Ukraine, and he will necessarily need to focus on that. So um, I thought that I would take a couple of minutes this morning to offer you my State of the Union address, because we have a union in Christ, um, and we ought to talk about that on days like this. And so what is the state of your union with God the Father through his Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit? What's the state of your union? What's the state of the union of your local congregation? What's the state of the union um, of the people of Christ globally? What's the state of the union? So my State of the Union address would have a theme, it would have some primary points, it would lay out a vision, and then it would have, you know, hopefully a compelling walk-off that would result in, well, it doesn't matter if it's a standing ovation, I don't really care about that. I'm only really here for the audience of one and the applause of heaven, (laughs) just to give myself away in advance. Um, So here is my uh, brief State of the Union address. The theme of the address is Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. He has risen from the dead, and that changes everything. And God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So I would make these primary points. Now, I don't have time to deliver an entire State of the Union address, so I'm not going to amplify and give you all the examples that I might if I had an I don't know how long the president might take, 90 minutes to deliver a State of the Union address. 
Um, but here are the six points I would want to make during uh, my State of the Union address on Jesus changes everything and God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Number one, we would look back at the great awakenings of the past. I mean, we would look back at the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to all Samaria to the ends of the earth. And then we would look at the great awakenings that God has sent over the course of time. So after looking back, we would then look around and we would look around at the need for the great for another great awakening today. We would look at the darkness. I would lay it out. And then we would look up to the promises of the reality of the God who is. We would look back, we would look around, and then we would look up. We would look by faith for all the resources that are necessary to withstand and then to take a stand, to stand up in the midst of the darkness as people of light. And then we would look around for others who are standing up or kneeling down. We would look around for partners in prayer and action. And then we would look ahead to the future filled with hope that God has planned. And we would anticipate miracles, knowing that with God, all things are possible. So that's what we would do. In my State of the Union address, we would look back. We would look around. We would look up. We would look inward. We would look around. And then we would look ahead. And then a vision would be cast. The same vision that, well, is always before the people of God. The Great Commission, empowered by the Great Commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and yes, to love your neighbor as yourself. There would be a reminder of the sacrificial nature of God's love and the way it compels us forward to serve the least of these around us today. We would talk about the greatness of God's love and therefore the great hope we have in God. And as a walk-off, I just say this. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We have a unity of spirit and bond of peace that the world does not understand, but that God has sent us into the world to be living demonstrations of. The state of our union in Christ is unassailable. Yes, challenges will come. Yes, nations will rise and fall. But the word of God in the person of Christ, he stands forever. Amen? Amen. Dr. Brett Nix joins us next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. Dr. Brett Nix is back from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Hey, Brett. Carmen, happy Tuesday to you. How are you today? Happy happy Tuesday, happy Shrove Tuesday, Pancake Day, King Cake Day. It's kind of a naughty day. Fat Tuesday. Like, we, we should just be talking about being fat today and why that's you bad. Know, but we won't. We won't. We're going to talk about other things. We've got other things to talk about. But you're right. I mean, shoot, I don't know anyone who, uh, if you make a really good pancake, would pass it up. No, right? My husband thinks that um, the manna that came from heaven, which was, you know, sweet and flaky, must have been pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the right perspective. I think I could have done just fine on that as well. Although the uh, milk and honey to go with it would have been just fine. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Um, why don't you bring us up to date on what is happening with uh, with COVID? Sure. So hopefully you're in an area where you're finding the uh, the COVID exposures and the COVID uh, conversions to be really quite low. As you know, Omicron is still out there. 
But some of the stuff that we've seen here in the last several weeks really relate to the variant of Omicron, which we call BA2. And if you look at some of the studies from Europe and you look at some of the studies out of South Africa, it is really the one that is probably predominant at this point in time. It is a variant that we are addressing uh, here in the hospitals where I work, but our numbers are way down. And the good news about it, if you look at the studies out of South Africa, despite the fact that this variant was rising incredibly fast, the hospitalizations associated with it, incredibly low. What do we know? We know that in this circumstance, that yes, it is just as contagious as the previous Omicron and perhaps maybe a little, even, even more so. Uh, but the good news about it is the severity of illness that it causes is much lower. Okay, I want to talk with you, um, you know, as a person who had COVID, probably Omicron, because just in terms of when I uh, when I had it, um, uh, you know, we could go over the fact that I'm still tired. But um, talk with me about the mental health risk, the increased risk of mental health issues for people who have had COVID-19. You know, that's a great question. You know, there is some tremendous studies that are out there that are specifically looking at COVID and what we call COVID-19 survivors. And what we have found is that they have an increased risk of mental health issues. Uh, and this kind of comes along with not just the, uh, the process of having COVID, but also the situation surrounding COVID. We know that with COVID, obviously, you have isolation, you have issues. We talk about the concepts of anytime you have a stressor that affects your body tremendously, you might have an issue as far as PTSD type of issues. And some of the earlier studies that are going on in the mental health space right now are showing that if you've had COVID, you have an increased incidence of mental health cases. And what does this look like? It means that let's say you have an underlying issue as far as uh, maybe some underlying psychiatric issues or maybe some mental health challenges. Let's say you don't, though. You have a 11-fold increase in your anxiety issues, depression issues, increase out of, out of 1,000 people, about uh, 15 additional cases. As you can imagine, the stress and stress disorders associated with it uh, can be increased as well. And the underlying issue with that is, well, we, many times we've talked before, uh, prescription use, opioid disorders, um, neurocognitive issues, sleep disorders, that things along those lines, all of these things are influenced uh, post-COVID. What does the actual number look like? In general, you're looking at somewhere between 10 and 20, maybe 30 uh, people who've had COVID out of 1,000 develop worsening symptoms or develop symptoms for the first time. Ironically enough, though, the two that stand out the most are sleep disorders, people who are not sleeping well after their COVID despite the fact that they're tired and they're fatigued. Uh, and the other one as well gets into uh, use of either antidepressants uh, or prescription drug, drug abuse. And so, you know, the one most important thing I want people to recognize is uh, if you've had COVID and you feel fatigued, there's a reason for it. If you feel, if you've had COVID and you're having difficulty sleeping, that is entirely possible. Uh, recognize this isn't a medication limitation, that many times this is an alignment of just where our bodies need to be and finding a better way of getting into balance with the things that we know to be true. You know, time in meditation and prayer, time spent in exercise, eating well, and focusing on things like gratitude and the people that are around us so we can go ahead and optimize how we live. Oh, that's really helpful. We're talking with Dr. Brett Nix. You can find him at brettnixmd.com. Um, when we come back, we're going to um, talk about some myths related to strokes because, you know, we have all kinds of issues still going on um, with us as, as a people and individually so in terms of our own health and welfare. So we are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I will trust talking with Dr. Brett Nix across a range of topics. You can find him at brettnixmd.com. 
Um, Brett, let's talk about strokes. Um, they are very prevalent in the United States. Um, there are three kinds. I'd love for you to describe those and then some of the things that are misunderstood or myths related to them. Certainly. You know, it's fascinating when you look across the United States, about 800,000 people per year have a stroke uh, and about 600 to 650,000 of those are first time strokes. And it is the leading cause, pardon me, second leading cause of mortality globally or you know, across the world, accounting for about 11,000 types of death, 11, pardon me, 11% of deaths that we see. Now, you mentioned the three different types of stroke. Uh, there are, and we have to break them down a little bit because this is where people sometimes will get confused. One of them is what we call an ischemic stroke, which is simply where the blood supply is stopped. And so the brain is not getting oxygen that it needs. Uh, another type is what we call a hemorrhagic stroke or one that is a bleed associated. And that's commonly caused by a, a, a blood vessel that ruptures within the brain, causing damage to the surrounding tissue. And then there's a third type of stroke that some people will call, maybe called a mini stroke. We know it as a TIA or a transient ischemic attack. And that's where the blood supply is only temporarily blocked. Uh, and usually that's for less than a couple minutes. And so... You know, while we see these strokes are, are common, what we do recognize, despite how common they are, is that they are so often misunderstood. And let me break them down a little bit for you. A uh, real good study that came out with um, Lenox Hospital uh, looking at a few different things and some of the neurovascular teams that they've put together have identified several of these things that are just common in society. Number one, many people think that stroke is simply a, heart, a problem of the heart, that it all comes from the heart, and people confuse heart attack and stroke. And yes, while a heart attack is a blockage of blood flow to the heart, it is not associated to the brain directly. And so, number one, keep in mind that, uh, you know, your brain is something we protect very differently uh, than our heart. Some people believe that strokes aren't preventable. It's just the way God made you. You're going to have these things. But recognize we know that the risks of blood pressure and smoking and high cholesterol and obesity and diabetes and all of these things uh, are associated features that you can control. These are things that you can modify in your lifestyle. These are things that you can work on with your doctor to go ahead and make sure that you decrease the symptoms <clears throat> that you have and the need for medications for these areas. And that substantially decreases your, your risk of stroke. Now, recognize a couple ones as well. High alcohol consumption, high levels of stress are also things that can go ahead and increase your risk for stroke. A couple other ones that come in, some people say, you know what, strokes aren't genetic. Well, I hate to say it, we do know that things like high blood pressure and diabetes, uh, cardiovascular risks, of course, are genetic. And so, therefore, downstream of that, yes, strokes have a genetic predisposition. You know, one of the things that I hear from patients all the time is, well, I didn't know I was having a stroke. And recognize that most of the health systems that they may work with their doctors or otherwise can say, hey, if you can't remember anything, remember that when you have a stroke, you have to respond fast, F-A-S-T. F is for face, face drooping. When you look at someone and you notice there's something that's uneven, A is for arm weakness or weakness in general. One arm becomes weak or leg, etc. S is for speech difficulty or slurring of the speech where somebody's talking and it's just not making sense or it doesn't sound like them. And T is for time to call 911 as quickly as possible because what we do know is while strokes at that point in time, we can't prevent it once it's there, uh, but we can minimize not just the risk of future ones, but there are interventions that are very time-specific that if someone comes to see me in the emergency department, that I can evaluate them and get them to a definitive process of care to not only hopefully re reverse the symptoms that they're having, but allow that uh, they'll be able to continue onward without having significant changes uh, because of that stroke. And so these are just the, the fascinating things that many times we look past and I know so many people can say, well, I just didn't want to bother anybody. If you have those symptoms, anything that you can identify with a family member, whether young, whether old, otherwise, make sure that you engage 911 as quickly as possible. 
Okay, so let's say I I suspect, um, you know, that I'm at risk. Um, maybe I even, like, had one of these, like, little experiences. I didn't go to the doctor because it didn't seem like a big deal. Um, what I hear you saying is I shouldn't ignore that. Um, even a mini stroke is a risky thing. What, like, so, but, you know, it's not an emergency. Like, it, you know, right? So how does a person approach this conversation with their doctor, like yeah, no, that's d- a great does that, Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I Absolutely. think maybe something's a little off. What do I ask for? What do I ask about? How do I? Yeah, ask? no, I mean that's one of those things where if you've had episode like you say, maybe I've had many stroke. Gosh, I had some slurring of my speech. You know, I had a little bit of arm weakness that lasted for only two or three minutes. What we know is that that is typically a harbinger. That is a shot across the bow of something significant coming. And most of the data would suggest that you're at risk for a massive stroke within the next two weeks. So if you've had those episodes, that's something you call your doctor, and they're going to say, hey, you know what? Why don't we go ahead and evaluate you? They'll probably send you for a specific study to take a look perhaps at your brain, perhaps at the blood vessels that flow to that area as part of your workup. And that has more to do with the risks that you've had as far as maybe high cholesterol, high blood pressure, things that may need to be addressed to a greater degree or have have been uh, chosen to not be addressed up to this point. Um, and it's difficult because what we don't want is we don't want to, we don't want to step into something that we hope can just go away on its own. One of the things we know about this is the progression of disease is slow. It is indolent. We don't recognize it until many times we have the event itself, and then we wish we never had. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, you and I have so many um, interesting medical-related headlines that we could be talking about today. Um, anything, um, anything that you want to be sure we highlight in the couple of minutes we have left? You know, there are so many great things. You're right. Uh, One of the things I really want to highlight is with the things that are going on in this world right now, especially within Ukraine, many of the things that we don't think about, the things that we don't recognize, I want people to pause for a moment and think about the worst period during your COVID window with supply chain issues. You couldn't get toilet paper. You couldn't get certain uh, things at the grocery store. You couldn't get different uh, uh, items for your household. Recognize that the people in Ukraine are to the extreme of that. And from a medical perspective, Many of the hospitals can't get supplies. They can't care for those that are, you know, out there uh, in the process of being in the process of being a war-torn country. Recognize it is still winter time, and you have people that are displaced that are that are transiting across the country, hoping to get to a border uh, that is going to be kind to them and allow them to come into refugee status into those countries. So you're looking at people at risk for hypothermia. You're looking at people at risk uh, for dehydration and for many of these different maladies. And we're imagining those people being healthy. Imagine those that don't have the capacity to move, to leave those areas uh, because they're they're indolent in their location uh, or in their in their state of, of health right now. And uh, you know, our hearts go out, our prayers go out to those that are providing the care, uh, knowing full well that their hands are tied. They don't have a lot of resources, they don't have a lot of support, and yet they're doing the best that they can. Yeah, praying praying today for people who are on some sort of regular medicine that they also can't. Um, get, you know, refilled. I'm just, just super, super duper aware of that as well. Um, Brett, as always, thank you so much for joining us. That's Dr. Brett Nix. He's actually in the ER today. So we're going to let him return to that. Um, he is an emergency medical doctor. We love checking in with him. You can reach him at brettnixmd.com and also at the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Behold the Lamb of God who takes... So 
some of you have been asking um, places and ways to connect with resources and materials that we talk about uh, here or programs that you've heard and want to share with someone else or you heard something and you just want to go uh, back and listen to it again and take notes. You can do all of that at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, you can also access um, prior episodes of this program on the Faith Radio app. So the app is uh, a great way to not only access what we're doing in real time, but be able to um, listen later um, and listen elsewhere. Like you're, you don't have to be tethered to uh, whatever it is right now that might be tethering you to a physical radio. So if you haven't done so yet, download the Faith Radio app. If you're wondering how to do that, instructions for doing so are at MyFaithRadio.com. We've talked um, some today about it being the 1st of March. We've talked about uh, the State of the Union address tonight. We've talked about what's happening in Ukraine. We haven't talked much about the fact that Lent, the season of Lent, begins tomorrow. So how are you going to intentionally prepare yourself for Holy Week, for the events of Holy Week, for um, what we all know happens at Calvary? Jesus... um, taking upon himself the sin of the world on the cross? How are you going to prepare yourself intentionally between uh, now and uh, and then? So f- 40 days away. So tomorrow is Ash Wednesday. So I thought it would be good today to, um, to talk with someone about the season of Lent and what happens um, during these 40 days. Her name is Tish Oxenreiter. Um, her devotional is Bitter and Sweet, A Journey into Easter. And our conversation is up next. Oxenrider. She um, is the author of several books. So she's joining us today to talk about Bitter and Sweet, A Journey into Easter. It is a Lenten devotional. And yes, we are giving copies away. You know the drill. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Tish, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you. So tomorrow is Ash Wednesday. We're going to embark on the season of Lent. Um, let's just talk about that for a moment. Um, we're going to take 40 days in our in our preparation for Easter. Why does Lent matter to you? Like, why is this something that you now include in, uh, you know, your personal preparation process? Yeah, you know, I didn't grow up uh, participating in Lent at all. I wasn't necessarily anti-Lent. I just didn't know anything about it. Um, But my interest in it came, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, first by way of just interest at large in the church's liturgical calendar, which is the historic church calendar um, as a way that we globally keep time and mark time. And so um, when I first started out, I was a mom with young kids and I wanted a way to recognize Advent. And um, my interest just went from there to where, you know, fast forward a few years later and really started uh, practicing Lent and realizing how beneficial it is to my own soul, my own body, and really my recognition of life as a whole of being a very short part of, um, you know, who I am with Christ in light of eternity, Um, but just how, I don't know helpful it has been because of um, 
our historic recognition of our need to uh, participate in a sort of season of penance and preparation. I think that's um, that's very well said. Uh, I need more than a day to get ready for Easter, like spiritually. I need more than um, even just the rhythm of the Sundays of Lent. Like it helps me to be in the Word intentionally. It helps me to reflect on particular themes during the season of Lent. And that's what um, you're helping us do in Bitter and Sweet, a journey into Easter. Let's talk about those two words, bitter and sweet. Why those two words when we're talking about Lent and Easter? Yeah, if you think about it, Lent has two uh, bookends, right? And so the first one is Ash Wednesday, which we're celebrating tomorrow. And what this is, is a day historically where we gather as local communities and a priest would take ashes. And these are historically from last year's Palm Sunday uh, leaves burned down and, you know, to kind of remind us of the cyclical nature of time. And the priest will smudge on our foreheads whilst uh, these ashes while saying, remember that you're dust and to dust you shall return, which is basically a poetic way of saying, don't forget that you're going to die and don't forget that life is short. And so it's, it's quite a jarring kind of um, direct sort of recognition of uh, our own mortality. Well, fast forward the six weeks and into Holy Week of the end of Lent, right before Easter, when we wake up on Sunday morning and we actually remember that day that we recognized six weeks ago, our death, that's actually not all there is. And that death is has lost its sting. And so in Lent, we are walking from one posture to another, where we are recognizing our finite bodies in a broken world, uh, encumbered by challenges, sin, shortcomings. And there's a certain bitterness to that. You know, every sin that we have that encumbers us, uh, embitters us more to uh, death, all the way to the new life in Christ that we recognize that because of God's grace, we are freed from that. And there is a sweetness to Easter, let alone the actual sweetness of Easter, you know, the, the candy and the, the Easter eggs and all of that, there is a sweetness that lasts. And, you know, since we're talking about the liturgical calendar, Easter lasts historically a full 50 days. And so we never see a fast in the calendar without a feast. And so this really is a preparation for a much bigger season where we are celebrating our new life. Oh, I want to talk about that word fast in just a moment, but let me remind everybody, we're talking with Tish Oxenrider. We're talking about her devotional, Bitter and Sweet, A Journey into Easter. We're giving away copies today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. If you've been thinking to yourself, hey, Ash Wednesday is tomorrow. I really want a Lenten devotional. I really want um, to walk in the Word of God in these 40 days in the lead up to uh, Holy Week and Easter. This is a wonderful opportunity for you to uh, get in on that. Tish, let's talk about fasting. Uh, I think people are familiar with the practice during Lent of giving something up. Fasting is actually one of the, um, you know, one of the ways that people engage or have engaged over time in Lent. Talk about fasting a little bit, and then maybe there are some other um, traditional ways that people practice Lent as well. Yeah. So, you know, Lent is really old. We have record of uh, Christians recognizing a Lenten fast all the way to the 150s. So we're talking, you know, soon after Christ walked earth. And uh, 
it has been historically combined with fasting because of that idea of preparation, that there is something to get ready for. If you think of what we do when we are ready to have company over, you know, when we are, you know, cooking the meal and cleaning the house, it's sort of that way when it comes to our bodies. When we are fasting, you know, there's traditionally this idea of fasting from food, but it's not necessarily about that. What fasting is ultimately about is saying no to something temporary in order to say yes to something eternal, or it's, it's a way of uh, denying ourselves uh, something less than ideal in order to make room for something even better. And so fasting is ultimately about quieting our appetites so we can better hear God's voice. And really it's about making ourselves more available for what really matters. So it's not about self-improvement, about punishing ourselves or, or turning the spiritual life into a checklist really. And truly, you know, the, the kind of thing I like to tell people is the spoiler alert is you will quote, screw up Lent. It's not a thing to, to do perfectly. You won't participate fully and ideally, but that's okay because that's not the point. We take on whatever God gives us during Lent in order to better participate in the redemptive life of Jesus, while, you know, we're still walking around here on earth, every single bit of it is grace. So I say all that to say that this isn't about, you know, performing or, or acting as though we need to earn God's grace. So there is the fast where we're giving something up in order to um, make room for something better. Yes. But Fasting is really one pillar of three historically. There's also the pillar of Thanksgiving and the pillar of prayer. And these things really work in tandem with each other. I kind of think of it as a step stool. You know, if you have one leg that's shorter or longer than the other, it's going to be kind of wobbly. And so it's not just about saying no to something. It's also about saying yes to adding more prayer into your life, adding some form of giving, uh, participating in your local community or in the global community. And I honestly find it even more, um, I guess, effective or uh, meaningful when I try to tie these things in together. So if I'm fasting from something like a food, I'm also participating in giving toward, you know, a food pantry in my area or a ministry that provides uh, for those experiencing food insecurity, that kind of thing. And so really Lent is about participating in the here and now finite life here on earth to remind ourselves of where our true kingdom is. We are talking with Tish Oxenrider. We're talking about her devotional, Bitter and Sweet, A Journey into Easter. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio, and we'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Tish Oxenrider, we're talking about her Lenten devotional, Bitter and Sweet, A Journey into Easter. We are giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing. Um, Tish, again, thank you so much for the gift of this conversation today. I'd love to get really practical. What are some ideas for parents or grandparents who are looking for practical ways to maybe expose their children or grandchildren to observing Lent. Maybe they've never done any of this before. Like what's an entry point and maybe some practical suggestions? It's really helpful to remember with kids that Lent is, or it's helpful to remind them that Lent is not about performing, right? Because it's, we're, 
very outward focused when we're that age. And so we, we go on what we can see. I find that it's most helpful with kids to talk about Lent as a way of modeling your own spiritual journey. So yes, encourage the kids to participate in it, but only in so much as what you as an adult are doing as well. So talk about what you are learning, what you're, uh, you know, experiencing. I think it's helpful to talk about a fast as something uh, temporarily denying yourself that's something good in order to make room for something better. It doesn't need to be huge. I think a kid might hear this and feel overwhelmed, but, uh, you know, you can provide lots of practical suggestions. One option is to do something together as a family, such as dessert or, you know, some form of food that you all love. Or you could just provide some unique ideas that are kid specific. I've heard of one kid that once gave up ketchup for Lent because that's how he took all his food. And it was his small, but simple, powerful way of um, denying himself a little bit. So you can provide uh, practical examples as well. As kids get older, I find it helpful to talk about the other aspects as well, the giving and the prayer. Um, My family has teenagers and tweens now. And so we talk a lot about whatever, um, we're learning as adults in our own uh, journeys, depending on what it is we're fasting from, such as some sort of global issue or something that uh, the church at large needs more prayer for. But I find it helpful just to keep it, I don't want to say light, but keep it realistic. You know, you don't want to accidentally give our kids the impression that this is about performing our way into being better Christians. This really is about participating in our own uh, just dependence on God and really and truly emphasize that when you're talking about your own Linton experience. I think that's really helpful. Thank you so much. One of the words that you use and you use it, um, you know, fairly freely is the word liturgy. Um, and, and you like to encourage us to pursue kind of a, a different kind of liturgy in our daily life. So let's define that word And then um, maybe look at particular practices. I guess I'm thinking scripture reading, contemplation, question, prayer, and singing, since those are the, um, you know, that's, that's the way the devotional is designed as well. Like, is that what you're talking about when you're talking about weaving sacredness into every day and sort of forming a new liturgy in our lives? Yeah, you know, the word liturgy only means the work of the people. So historically, the church has used that as a way of defining the parts of the um, experience of life that we participate in. You know, uh, church has been about gathering together and responding to God. So our liturgy is our communal response to God. And even if that word liturgy feels a little highbrow or unattainable, it's helpful to remember that we actually all have a liturgy already. We have a liturgy, you know, in terms of the larger aspect of an annual calendar, but we also have our daily liturgies, you know, pouring our coffee at a certain time of day, brushing our teeth a particular way. So we all participate in this work of the people that sometimes we don't even notice. And so, yeah, whenever we're talking about adding liturgy uh, in a more sacred way, what we're talking about is remind, adding some pieces to your day to remind yourself of where your kingdom Uh, loyalty lies. And so in the book, I've got these practices that you can participate in daily during Lent. It is a short reflective reading written by me, followed by a part of scripture, 
followed by a prayer that um, most of them are old, written by those who came before us, a question to ask. You can either ask it as a family, you could ask it uh, just individually, you can journal it, whatever. And then a song. There's a, an accompanying playlist for this book because I found that because we're sensory type driven people, it's good to add beauty to this whole experience, some art and music. And once a week, I also have some visual art to look at on Sundays, uh, you know, most of it historic from, from the global church. And yeah, so if it feels overwhelming, add one of these things or add all five or do some one week, some another week, there's no, you know, prescription here. It, these are just opportunities for us to participate in Lent. Tish, I like the idea of um, adding adding to the playlist of my life. Like, right, that seems like mm -hmm. a simple addition um, or replacement, right? I could, I could give up listening to some set of songs or particular musicians or whatever, and I could add in intentionally this other playlist um, that would help me focus during the season of Lent on this journey uh, to Easter. So I think that um, is a different approach and very, very, um, helpful as well. We're talking with Tish Oxenrider. She's the author of Bitter and Sweet, A Journey into Easter. We are giving away copies of the devotional today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Tish, um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask um, about your last name, because <laughs> I probably have some listeners today who thought the same thing that I thought. Are there actual oxen riders in the history of the oxen riders there are from several hundred years ago in uh, i believe it's southwestern germany don't cr mm -hmm. quote me I'm on that i'm kind of excited yes. i'm kind of excited <laughs> i'm kind of yeah. excited like yeah. i have this visual image of these oxen riders and i'm just inspired by them i i like them already <laughs> i like your people so tell your husband we we like his people will do <laughs> all right it's so great Tish Oxenrider, what a joy to talk with you today. Um, is there somewhere on social media uh, that folks can connect with you? You have a preferred place? Yeah, well, you know, everything is linked to at just TishOxenrider.com, my name. I'm at Tish on Twitter and Tish Oxenrider on Instagram. But if you just go to my website, you'll find links to everything. It's easiest that way. Awesome. And Tish um, is missing the I for those of you looking for her. T-S-H right. is how she spells Tish. And Oxenrider is Oxen, O-X-E-N, Writer, R-E-I-D-E-R. Tish, thank you so much for joining us today. What a joy. Thank you for, ha thank you for having me. It was great. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, we've had a number of um, folks just continuing to lift up prayers for the people of Ukraine encourage you to do that today. It's a very volatile and dynamic situation. You're definitely going to see videos today that are very, very disturbing. Um, and so I just want you to recognize that. I also want you to be prepared to be a person who speaks truth and hope and love and reality into um, the situations of the day. So we are a people anchored in Christ, and that holds. The anchor holds. I want us to be mindful of that, actually intentionally thoughtful about that today. Um, we're going to be people who are anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication, make all of our concerns known 
to the Father above. That's who we are. That's where we stand. That's how we posture ourselves in the midst of um, very, very challenging and difficult uh, headlines and news and images. And the images today I expect to be um, increasingly horrific. Um, So why do I say that? Because um, the Russian bombing campaigns now include many uh, places where civilians are uh, sheltering. um, And we're talking about a nation of millions and millions of people, many of whom are in city centers that are now surrounded by Russian troops. And the uh, assaults will not only come from the air, which is already happening, but increasingly assaults will come from all of those tanks and uh, the people inside those armor personnel carriers and on and on and on and on and on. So um, we're going to be praying today and we're going to be asking God to protect and to intervene and to restore peace. And we're also going to recognize that war is the way of humanity outside of Christ. Peace is the way of humanity in Christ. War is the way of humanity outside of Christ. And so now is a time to be praying for revivals, for spiritual revival, for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, for an awakening um, uh, of individuals, for a movement of not only a people, but people. And so there, uh, there is a witness and a testimony for you and I to make today um, in the midst of, uh, of all that is happening in the world. Um, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge. Um, oh, do we have to take one more break, or can I keep going till the end, Paul? Oh, you can keep going. This is always... Yeah. This is Plug always where sometimes I forget where we are <laughs> in the midst of things. So um, let me answer this one question that has been raised, um, and that is the question about Russia's um, threats of uh, using nuclear weapons. Um, it, it is my understanding at this point that Russia's threat is really related to Ukraine. And so the movement of Belarus to say that it would be uh, open to hosting Russian um, nukes, that is probably um, the the most concerning thing on the nuclear front today. The president of the United States has said that the American people do not need to be worried um, about a nuclear war. I certainly hope that he is correct. Let's be praying for him today, for President Biden, as he prepares to deliver his first State of the Union address tonight. Um, Let's be preparing ourselves in heart, mind, and spirit for the beginning of Lent tomorrow on Ash Wednesday. Today's the day to make preparations for the season of preparation in order that we might be fully prepared to bear positive public witness um, to Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done um, on humanity's behalf. All right, let me encourage you to visit us at MyFaithRadio.com today. Lots of resources available for you there and an opportunity to pray together. Have a grace day. And God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.